Uninformed immigrants are at a huge disadvantage in court, in financial and legal matters, and also sometimes in life. Well, what can we do about it? I'll tell you what. We can train, teach, inspire, and empower immigrants to maximize their lives regardless of their immigration status. And that's exactly what we're going to do here. I am your immigration lawyer and host, Otis Landerholm, and this is the Empowered Immigrant Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Empowered Immigrant Podcast. On this episode, we're going to see an episode of the Empowered Immigrant Live, which is a webcast that I do every Thursday on Facebook and on YouTube for the immigrant community. If you have any immigrant questions or immigration questions, feel free to join us on Thursday for the next one. And for now, enjoy the episode. It's a strong case, but they didn't have to have pulled the trigger for somebody to be the victim of a serious crime, of an attempted, that could be attempted murder, that could be a felonious assault or an attempted felonious assault, all right? Um, domestic violence, very common, all right? If you or anyone you know was the, who's an immigrant who was the victim of domestic violence, that is a qualifying crime for the U visa. Sexual assault, sexual crimes, sexual exploitation, rape, anything like that counts, Kidnapping counts. There are certain employment-based offenses that can count. If you worked for weeks, you know, and were, not, and were not paid, for example, that's a type of slavery, you guys, and that counts. That's a crime, all right? I'm not talking just like somebody, I don't know, messed up on the... I'm not talking like somebody messed up on the... Um, uh, the hourly rate or something and paid you less than they thought they paid you. I mean, if you file a criminal complaint based on that, maybe, right? But it's more like, okay, if somebody like intentionally does not pay you for work that you've done, that also can count for a U visa. There are other crimes. If you have ever called 911, if you have ever gotten the police involved, if you have ever filed a criminal complaint, if you have ever filed serious charges against another human being, and if you're an immigrant, talk to a lawyer. Let's figure it out. Maybe you do qualify. Maybe your crime could qualify for a U visa, all right? And so I just wanted to say that. The second element, so that's the first. You have to be the victim of a qualifying crime. The second element is you have to have cooperated, you know, been helpful with law enforcement in the investigation of the prosecution of the crime. You have to have called the police, right? Right? Now, what happens? I called the police because my spouse was being abusive, but I didn't want to press charges, right? Can I get a U visa? Well, they're probably not, right? If you don't press charges or if you don't, they will say you didn't cooperate in that investigation. You weren't willing to be a witness, right? You weren't willing to you weren't willing to fight the fight, all right, to bring that person to justice, what, you know, according to the DA, right? The U visa is a tool that law enforcement uses. That's why, uh, that's why Congress created the thing. They wanted to increase cooperation between the immigrant community and the police, right? Can you believe it? So that's what this is about, all right, so in order to qualify for a U visa, yeah, 
you do need to be willing to cooperate. Now, hang on. Does that mean, abogado, does that mean, lawyer, does that mean that they needed to, like, find and prosecute the person? No, it doesn't mean that. All right? You can at least have made a police report, tried to cooperate, been willing to cooperate. The police, though, does need to sign off. They need to certify, all right? They need to certify that, yes, you were willing to cooperate in that U visa. All right, good. First, you got to be the victim of a qualifying crime. Second, you have to have been helpful, right, in the investigation or the prosecution of that crime. So now we're on number three, all right? Number three is you have to have suffered a substantial amount of harm, okay? Here we get a psyche valve. We get medical records. We talk about a declaration. We have to demonstrate how what you suffered affected you, how it affected your life. You know, we have clients where it's like they can't sleep at night. Yeah, well, we got to show that. We got to demonstrate that, okay? We, sometimes we have a declaration from a spouse or a witness or a child or whatever. Hey, I notice, right? My spouse wakes up in the night sweating, screaming because he's got nightmares or whatever because of some attack he just suffered, right? Or maybe he can't go to sleep at all if somebody's been the victim of, of a serious crime, right? And lastly, number four, just like any visa out there, all right, just like any visa out there, you have to be admissible or eligible for a waiver. Just like any visa, you can't have serious immigration violations, serious criminal violations, serious fraud, deportations, things like that in the past. However, everybody, however, you got to know that the U visa comes with some of the most generous waivers that exist in immigration law because you're cooperating with the police. So they do have the ability to waive a lot of issues, okay? So if you, even if you've been deported in the past, yes, it's possible to win a U visa. Even if you've got crimes in the past, yes, it's possible, not easy, but it's possible to win a U visa. Even if you've been you know, you, you lied to immigration before and now you presented some false document to enter the U.S. Yes, it's still possible to win a U visa. You just have to meet these other requirements that we've talked about and you have to request a waiver. Okay, there you go. There you go. That's it. That is the U visa law. As far as the process goes, let me touch base on the process real quick. All right. In, in, in six steps, real quick. Number one, you got to ask the police to certify that you were helpful. We call it the certification process. Number two, once they sign off, you've got six months to file the U visa application itself. All right? Number three, once you file it, you'll get receipt notices and a notice to get your biometrics. They'll take your photograph. They'll take your fingerprints. Number four, after that, you will be in line to receive what they call a bona fide determination work permit. You will be eligible to get a work permit as this process is going. Step five, you're gonna wait and wait and wait some more, and you're probably gonna wait even more after that, all right? U visas have a horrible, huge, enormous, like 150,000 case backlog and growing, okay? You're going to be waiting for more than 10 years, possibly even 15 years, all right, as immigration starts going through that backlog. And then number six, after all that waiting and waiting some more, 
you'll get a decision and your U visa will either be approved or it'll be denied or you'll get a request for more evidence. Once it's approved, all right, then you'll wait three more years, you can apply for a green card. That is the process. That is the process, ladies and gentlemen. That is everything that I have to say. That is all my knowledge and expertise about the U visa there in just what? It's 223. We're doing great. All right. There it is, just for you, right there. All right. So thank you all for being with me. Let's turn to your questions. Thanks for everybody that's asked questions. If you've still got questions, hey, bring it on, right? We do this all day, every day. We do this all day, every day. Mia Jasu, thank you for your question. Mia Jasu, 1970. I see you there. Thank you. So your question is, what time, what's the timeline to get a police certification in Oakland, California? Well, hey, I love this question. I love this question. This is like, this is like we, we do this. Typically, we get a U visa certification in about four weeks, all right, in Oakland. Four weeks or less, all right? They're pretty good in Oakland, pretty good. Other police stations, not so good, all right? But our experience, we, we, we know the police certifying officials in Oakland. We are on the phone with them all the time. And so, yeah, if you're an immigrant in Oakland, California, and if you've been the victim of a crime, oh, we can help you, all right? We do that all day long. All right, Christopher Carbajal, I see you. Hello. All right, you say hi. I say hi back. All right. My people on Instagram who've joined in, hello. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining. All right, I got some more questions for you here. I've got, well, hopefully I've got answers. I do have questions. Let me see here. My first question today comes from, my first question here comes from Ramesh. All right. Ramesh, thank you for asking your question. You say, I received I-797C, notice of action. My green card number is printed on this letter. Is it a benefit or not? Okay, all right, this is a great question, Ramesh. Thank you for asking it. The I-797C, all right, lots of different forms say that. The I-797C is just a quote-unquote notice of action. It doesn't specify, unless you look at it more carefully, it doesn't specify what action they're taking. It might just be a notice that the case was received by immigration. In that case, there's no benefit from it. It might be that they're asking you to go in and get your biometrics taken. In that case, there's no benefits from it. And it might be an approval notice. And depending on the application submitted, all right, depending on the application submitted, an approval notice can have benefits with it. And so, Ramesh, thank you for your question. My best advice is go look at it further. Figure out what type of I-797C notice of action you've got in front of you. And if it's an approval notice, Hey, congratulations, you just got your case approved, <laughs> all right? And so, uh, so there you go. And if you're, if you're unsure about it, talk to your lawyer. We can, you know, read it together. If you want to do a consultation about it, heck, here we are, right? Feel free to give us a call. All right, Ramesh, thank you. Regina, Regina Puentes, client, you say, thank you, Otis, you're the best. Thank you so much for saying that. Thank you so much for saying that. You've been an awesome client for years, so I, I'm happy to see you here, all right? So um, 
Let's see. Lesieli. Lesieli is my next question. Lesieli. You say, would I be able to file or petition for my husband who lost all documents needed to verify his travel coming to the U.S. in 1979 and his travel back home in 1991 and he lost all of his passports and I-94s and he doesn't have any ID or any other documents but just his new passport that he just got. Wow, Lesieli, thank you for asking that question. Let's request the records. Step one in your case, let's request the records. We want to see. We want to see what possibly we could get. If he was lawfully admitted on his last entry, great. All right, great. He could potentially apply for adjustment of status through his marriage to you. But immigration's going to ask for the proof, right? Immigration's going to ask for the proof, and we're going to want to really look at it, okay? So, Lesieli, hey, uh, we can help you, and we can help you request that evidence and figure that out. Okay, Regina, Miss Puentes, I said, I said uh, hello to you. I didn't realize you had a longer question here. So your question, I'm sorry, your question says, in order to not lose my residency status, is it possible to come and go but not stay outside the U.S. longer than six or seven months? Does the time have to be all together or come and go? Thank you. All right, uh, Ms. Puentes, thank you for asking that question. That is a great question. You've got a green card, and you're like, okay, I don't want to lose it, all right? So, yes, the best advice is to never leave the U.S. If you have a green card, the best advice is to never leave the U.S. for more than six months, all right? Don't leave the U.S. for more than six months. And if you're in and out and in and out, I mean, it's potentially a red flag for Border Patrol, Right, because they want to see that you know the idea is when you have a green card that you are a lawful permanent resident, you are residing in the United States, and so it's like okay, we want to be able to show that. And if you're traveling back and forth so much, they're like, hey, are you really residing in the U.S.? But if you don't leave for more than six months, then you're not subject to a quote-unquote readmission at the border, and so it protects you as long as you don't leave for more than six months, all right? Best thing to do is to stay in the U.S. longer to be able to show, hey, yes, I've still got my residence here in the U.S. I haven't abandoned that. I'm not losing that. That's the way to have the least amount of pushback, right, from immigration when you're at the border. All right, I'm watching the clock here. It's 2.30. I'm a little bit out of time. Vanessa923, I see you there on Instagram. Itudades, I see you there on Instagram. Motto, I see you on Instagram. Hello, welcome. Everybody on YouTube, hello, welcome. Facebook, hello, welcome. I'm going to take one more question, all right? This comes from Raonga, all right? Raonga, you say, I have altogether given up. That's what you say. I have given up since my last-ditch effort to have my now-adult son petition for me. Prior, an immigration lawyer claimed that a minor couldn't do a petition for you. I later sought a petition on a J-1 foreign student exchange visa, all right, but to no avail. It didn't work out. Then I tried again, but the costs involved and things like that, it's prohibitive. All right, Raonga, thank you for asking this question. All right, it sounds like you are in a challenging situation. Here's the deal, all right? 
If you have a child who's a U.S. citizen, a child who's a U.S. citizen cannot petition for their parents until they're not a kid anymore. They've got, once they turn 21, once they turn 21, now they can petition for their parents. So if you have a child who's a U.S. citizen, once they turn 21, they can petition for you, all right? Yeah, there'll be some costs involved. There's also a long time involved, right? The whole process is much slower and much more challenging legally than it ever used to be. An I-130 petition used to be a two-page, fairly simple document. It's now 12 pages. It's now a much more lengthy, lengthy document. I might be, a, it, might be eight, it might be nine pages. Anyway, it's a much lengthier process than it ever used to be. The government asks you a lot more information than they ever used to in the past, all right? And so it is a more challenging process than it ever used to be. But Raunga, I got to ask you, I got to ask you, what do you want? What do you want? Where do you see yourself? Where do you want to be 10 years in the future? Where do you want, like, do you want to be in the United States or don't you? Do you want to be with your son who's sounds like is a U.S. citizen or don't you? It's fine. If you don't want to go through the process, don't do it. All right. But if what you want for yourself, for your life has to do with getting documents here in the United States, I mean, heck, do it. Right. Who cares what the cost is? I'm serious. Everybody listening to me, think about what you want first. Decide what you want first. And then you only have one shot at life, everybody. It's like we are all going to die someday. The time that we, I'm serious, the time that we have here on planet Earth is short and precious. So if you want to be, you know, living your life with your family here in the United States, go for what you want. I don't care what the cost is. Your time on earth is precious and short. Go for it. And if you'd rather be in France, or if you'd rather be in India, or if you'd rather be in any other country, go for that instead. All right? My point is, like, don't ever let money, don't ever let challenge, don't ever let, like, obstacles stand in your way from getting the life that you want. That's it. All right? That's it. I, I challenge everybody to, like, I mean, that's, that's, that's really what this is all about. The Empowered Immigrant Podcast we are here to empower people, all right? We'll find the legal way to make it happen if there is a legal way. And if there's not a legal way, well then, okay, now you know. Now you know. It's not going to happen legally under current laws. This is actions we could take to maximize your chances if the law were to change in the future. But it's not going to happen legally. So now, okay, what's our plan B? But you still want to go for the life that you want, all right? You want to. Life's too short to live it any other way. All right. That's all we got time for today. Thanks, folks. Thanks for being with me. Hey, everybody that asked their questions, I really appreciate that. I really appreciate it. 
If you've asked a question and if I haven't answered it yet, I still will. I will upload that video. I will film that video. The way to get access to it is to please go into YouTube, subscribe to our channel, and hit the notifications bell. You'll get a notification when we upload that video to YouTube. Got it? All right. So that's it. Thank you all so much for being here. I really appreciate you spending time with me on Thursday, the 10th of February. All right. And here's the thing. If you've got an immigration case, hey, please, you know, give us a call. We're here to help. We're here to help. All right. And we can, we can do that. That's what we do. And so uh, thank you all so much. Uh, my name is Otis Landerholm. I'm the founding attorney here at Landerholm Immigration APC, where we fight for your American dream. And I will see you next week on our next episode of the Empowered Immigrant Live. Thanks so much. Bye -bye. Thank you for listening to the Empowered Immigrant Podcast. If you like what you heard and if you want to learn more, please go to landerholmimmigration.com forward slash podcast.